Hello everybody, it's Colin Ellis here and welcome to the Culture and Coffee podcast for Monday the 15th of August 2022. The year is just flying by September before you know it, that'll be my birthday. I might give you my address uh, on a future podcast so you can send me a card. Uh, and it's foggy. I think it, this is the first podcast that I've done in the fog and I'm not referring to my own mental state or referring to what I had to drink last night. It's properly foggy. I am in Auckland in New Zealand. I've kind of forgotten what fog was like, really. It's the fog and snow, the two things that I left behind in England, as well as a whole boatload of family. Just fog and snow. I quite like the fog. I know, like, I don't know what it is, but I don't know, it just makes... It's a bit damp. It's a bit secretive and dark. Also, the amazing thing about fog is that um, despite all of the technological advancements we have in the world, planes still can't take off and land. Uh, so, like, there's a bit of me that's like, oh, I love the fog. Fog, better not delay my flight. It better lift quickly. I was in Newcastle in New South Wales once when the fog descended. And I was there, I was at the airport for eight hours and it was thick fog, so they couldn't do anything. But how is it we're able to transplant animal organs into humans, but planes still can't take off in the fog? Like, anyway, if you work for a, a traffic control, maybe you can drop me a note and let me know. Fascinated. Um, so I am in Rumours Coffee. Uh, Rumours Coffee, it's been open two months. I've just been talking to one of the owners. It's been open two months uh, here in Auckland in New Zealand. It's off a little back street, um, which, which I love these little places. There's just something about it. It's got a concrete floor. It's beautifully decorated, quite minimalist. It's got a lovely black machinery. I, lo- like, I love the aesthetic of some of these uh, coffee shops. And, and I mean, if you're a coffee lover, like if you listen to the culture stuff, great. If you listen to for the coffee stuff, even better. And if you're a coffee lover, always find the small places. Don't go to the big places. These guys, they put so much time, thought, and effort into making coffee. Coffee is their life. Coffee is their business. And it's not, you know, some of the larger chains. It's not that that's not true. Of course, it is for some. Um, but all of the details that 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 go into to making these places is just just fabulous and. Yeah, New Zealand is, I, I suppose, you know, I'm fortunate to do a lot of travelling. I'm right back into the travelling again. And New Zealand, because of kind of how it dealt with the pandemic, feels quite far behind everywhere else. Um, it feels like it's about, I don't know, six to nine months behind Australia. Not, I, 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 I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing, but, you know, for smaller places like this, they really depend on, on you know, a sense of normalcy returning. Um, and so when you do come back in the city, always uh, check these little places out. It's called Rumours Coffee. It's on O'Connell Street uh, in Auckland. And I'm having a pour over, which the guy make it, tried to disturb him, asking him questions while he was making it. He was having none of it. He was just like, I'm just going to concentrate and do this thing. He, he weighed the beans in his little... It must be a name for that little cup that they weighed the beans in. Then he ground them and then he weighed it and tapped it into the filter and then it steamed it has got a little kettle boiling here which he then poured it over just just love watching the whole process it's just such a almost a mindful start to the day what watching someone else make me a drink of course it is also watching someone else make me making me breakfast actually watching other people do things for me generally is just a mindful way to live my life not that i do it very often and um, so yes i'm having a pour over and i'm having an ethiopian 
and here in Rumours Coffee, so they've got two coffees that they use for their pour-overs, and they use low-key beans. Not low-key as in the Marvel, before Marvel get in touch. You can't use us. No, L-O-W-K-E-Y, low-key. There's a little story on the back of this envelope here. They've got these two envelopes, I'm trying to describe it. And it's got low-key on the top, it's got like a postmark. Uh, it's got an Ethiopia stamp in the corner. Uh, in the top left, uh, it says low-key coffee. Uh, ah, so it's South Korean. So they're a South Korean company, and they're based in Seoul, South Korea. And then the bottom right, it says from, and then there's a little uh, sticker here. It says Ethiopia Banti Nenka N, which is the coffee. The origin is Banti Nenka, Hambela Guji, Ethiopia. Uh, it's a natural bean, and it's got notes of pineapple, berry, stone fruit, mint, and jam. So let me just do that here. That is fabulous. It's in this beautiful kind of brown cup, which looks like it's made of stone, and when you pick it up, it's not, not that heavy. Yeah, on the back here, it's a little story about uh, we are low-key coffee. We started roasting and retailing coffee in 2010. We like to keep things simple and focus on quality. Small lots of coffee beans roasted in small batches and served fresh. Let the coffee speak for itself. Absolutely. Amen to that. So, yes, um, Ethiopian pour over this morning. I'm just going to go and put this envelope back so the guy can offer it to other people. I often think it must be kind of weird seeing a guy like me just sat talking to himself in the corner. Um, although they probably think I'm on a high-powered business call. I'm not. Um, I haven't talked much about New Zealand. Oh, the fog's lifting a bit. That's good. I might actually get out of here today. Um, I haven't talked much about my time in New Zealand. I would say the first three years in New Zealand when we were here, 2007 to 2010, it, it, it was a tough time because uh, we, we emigrated. We didn't know a single person in New Zealand. Uh, so that, that was always tough. My auntie lived in the South Island of New Zealand. And we were moving to Wellington. Wellington is at the bottom of the North Island of New Zealand. And of course, when you first arrive, because it's a Commonwealth country, and by that I mean the British colonised it. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast for someone else to do who knows way more about it than I do. There's a lot of familiarity. You know, they drive on the same side of the road. They speak English. I was talking to my son uh, earlier this week about how privileged he is uh, to be born speaking the English language. Um, so he spoke English and road signs, familiar, all of that kind of stuff. So that made it a little bit easier. Uh, but it was a tough time. The son was one, we had another one on the way. Uh, we had, you know, obviously we had to find midwives and all those kind of things. Anyway, and yet I would say those first three years that I spent in New Zealand were amongst the happiest of my work in life. We had, uh, I had a great boss who pretty much, I remember he told me, he said, I've hired you to, to bring something different to the team. We didn't use the word culture back then. You know, I've hired you to bring something different. Into it. I remember once, must have been about 12 months in, he was like, you remember when I said I hired you to bring something different? I was like, yeah. He was like, yeah, I just wasn't prepared for some of this stuff. You know, kind of the random things that I, that I used to do uh, with my team to really generate that sense of achievement, teamwork. You know, we wanted to win, not win at all costs. I've talked about this in the past, but we wanted to... I was in charge of project delivery. We, we really wanted to deliver projects in a way that had never been done before. I built relationships with... Um, the people that, that, you know, kind of we were regulated by an independent body. I built relationships with them and they were like, no one ever does this. <laughs> you know, we just come in and you know, tell you what you need to do. No one ever asks us what you need to do. Um, 
we did some off-the-wall stuff. You know, and I, I remember changing the way that project managers were managed. Manage, project managers are always measured on time and cost, which are the two things that change in projects. And I decided to uh, measure the pro my project managers on uh, the, the satisfaction of stakeholders and the team. So what experience were they providing? Because I recognised that if you provide a good experience, um, then the rest takes care of itself. And of course it does, because that experience is all about culture, what kind of culture are you building? Uh, but that first three years, I, I had really good peers around me, people I could learn from, people who challenged me, really good team uh, who, who wanted to do things differently. Um, we removed a lot of bureaucracy. My boss was open to some of that and just high performing. You know, we got the job done. I, I probably, you know, when I, when I talk, I did a, and doing a culture workshop here in, in, in Auckland, a great team that I've been working with. Love those teams, growth mindset, anything's possible. They were just like, you know, kind of like um, emotionally exhausted at the end of the day, not physically, because they're just like, we want to do so much. I share in some of the stories and I was like, gosh, just a bit bonkers. Some of the things that I used to do, but couldn't have done them unless, uh, unless we were high performing. And New Zealand is a is a great place to do that. You know, one of the things that we used to do, which I'm going to talk about today, um, is innovation. Uh, I think organisations are great at talking about uh, innovation. Sorry, just take another drink of my coffee there. Um, are great at talking about innovation. They're great at talking about creativity. They're great at talking about new ideas. Never make time for them. Never make time for them. They get stuck in this endless cycle of back-to-back -back meetings and busy work and not really understanding their priorities and emailing and all this kind of stuff and they never make the time just to to think differently now of course what 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 you need in order to be innovative is is those agreements between staff that innovation is important you need the commitment from staff to do some things differently you need the commitment to, from staff not to do the same old things over and over again um, and that's obviously the culture there's that, that agreement on culture you know the last half day of my two-day culture workshops i spend purely on innovation and I get, I do this whole exercise where I get people to come up with ideas that they can implement immediately just to show people how easy it is. Um, now there are some great organisations out there who innovate really well. One of them is, is Airbnb. I have a great story about Brian Chesky and Airbnb. If you, haven't, if you don't know about that story, I wrote about it in Culture Fix, about the Airbnb story. And he said, Brian Chesky says, and I share this all the time, the culture is what creates the foundation for future innovation. If you break the culture, you break the machine that makes your products, the machine being the culture, not an actual uh, machine. Um, but, but, you know, I think, I think kind of, if you, if you want to start innovating, then you need to know the difference between creativity and innovation. So creativity essentially is, is an imaginative process uh, where you kind of come up with ideas. It, innovation is, is the productive process. It's about how you actually implement. So I always say that, um, you can, you know, kind of ideate, but innovate is only when you implement stuff. And some of the stuff that might fail, and you try it, and you try it, and you tweak it, and you try it, and you tweak it, and eventually it'll, be fail, it'll fail, but that's okay, at least you've learned something then that you can put back into the creative process. So, you know, creativity you really can't measure, because it's just ideas that come up, and what you don't want to do is 
you know, kind of say, oh, well, you know, we came up with 50 ideas this month. Well, it kind of means nothing. It's how many did you actually implement? You know, that's the innovation process. So you can measure innovation uh, in a way that you can't really man- uh, measure creativity. And so I think, I think people have ideas. Uh, it, it's just that we don't ever make the time and, and, and space to implement them. So, you know, for me, innovation requires three things. It requires creativity, so it requires ideas. Then it requires time, so you need to dedicate specific time to actually decide how you're going to implement this idea or whether, it's gonna, whether it can work. And then you need safety. It needs to be safe to fail. You need to. Uh, it needs to be safe to challenge. Uh, what you need is for people not to kind of tread on ideas and just ridicule them or just dismiss them straight away. You know that's the kind of thing that kills innovation. I remember speaking to a general manager not so long ago, and I was talking about innovation. I was like, "Do you innovate?" He's like, "Oh, I would love to." And I was like, "You know," I was like, "Oh, you can." He's like, "Oh, I know I can." He's like, "But, I, but we we tried it twice." And both times, my boss, who was the chief operating officer, just sat on it and he just said, didn't do anything with it. And he said, it just, at that point, it didn't feel safe to actually innovate and we just stopped doing it, which is a real shame. So if you're a senior leader uh, in a business, you really want to make sure that you're, you're encouraging innovation. I mean, I, I think for the, for the cult, for, to have a culture that really um, values innovation, and, and, and it's, it's not about having a value or a behaviour. People still make this mistake. You know, they have a value of, you know, oh, we, we, in, we are innovators. Like, well, it's great having a value, but um, an innovative is not a value, right? So let's make this point. Innovative is not a value. Innovative is a behaviour, right? You, you know, values are kind of verbs, they're, they're action words. So, you know, we are innovative would be, would be the value. But simply saying it is not enough. You've got to carve out the time to do it, you know. And, and what I, one of the things I used to do with my teams is we used to spend two hours uh, every week just innovating. And we did it between 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock on a Friday. Because why? Because, you know, maybe the mindset isn't there to be as focused as you can be on kind of productive day-to-day work. So it was a perfect opportunity. I mean, you could argue that it was an excuse to go to the pub and do it, which we did once or twice, not all of the time. Um... But we would just spend two hours at the end of the week just having a look at, uh, you know, we, we had some three by five cards that we used to stick on the wall where we used to write our ideas and then we used to take one of those or else someone would just come up with a challenge that they had in their week and say, oh, here's, here's something I'm really struggling with. Can we come up with some ways that we can do this differently? Uh, and, and so we used to love those two hours. Sometimes at the end of the two hours we would come up with a solution and we would go away then and implement it so we would make it a task for the following week, so that became part of our planning process. When we used to meet on a Monday morning, we would talk about the work that needs, that's a really good coffee, um, we would talk about the work that needs to get done, uh, and, and part of that was implementing a new idea, and that's how we took, a, you know, we used the creative process to innovate, uh, and then, you know, we just made sure we had this continual production line of almost of ideas. And, and ideas never dry up, and, and innovation lives inside everybody. I joked oh, a few couple of years back when they, when they were on Vogue, less so now, like organisations were creating innovation hubs. We're going to create an innovation hub, you know, and like, 
it was just full of kind of brightly coloured furniture that was uncomfortable to sit on and it, it, you know, it was populated by a group of special people but that's BS because innovation lives inside everybody everyone's got ideas and it's great that you created a space but it just became an empty space that didn't get used because people were in back to back meetings or you had to book it out like a meeting room it's like ugh fail, fail at innovation so innovation, it's, it's got to be safe to fail I mentioned that um, if you want to become an innovative team or an innovative organisation you've got to value creativity and play we're afraid of the word play uh, we, we, we really are we feel like it's some kind of childish thing, I, I read a book um, actually when I was on holiday I read uh, Creativity by John Cleese which is this really short book and of course, John Cleese, lots of humour. It's a fabulous, my kind of book. Short book, easy to read, lots of humour. My kind of book. And he said in it, he, he said, I can't remember exactly the quote, but he, he said that kind of we forget where we come from when it comes to, to creativity. He's like, you know, what makes children creative is they're totally spontaneous. You know, they're, they're not, almost they're not thinking there's no rules. I think he said they, 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 there was no rules, so they don't observe rules. Um, and, and for them, it, they can make something rubbish, and it doesn't matter. It's kind of that process to building something bigger and better. And I remember my son used to make these Lego things. They were rubbish. Like, but like, what was it? Like five, you know? And it, it, it wasn't about how great they were. It was about him working towards building something bigger. And of course, he started making these really cool models. But those early models were just him being him being creative but we recognised it wasn't what he wanted to build and, and you know companies like Lego still encourage play and you, you, it's easy for people listening to this thinking oh they're Lego they make kids toys of course they're going to play anybody can play you're just afraid of it I think that, afraid of the word and, and actually there's a lot of fun there's a lot of enjoyment that can come with that actually I bet if I gave you the choice between I can give you an afternoon of corporate process or an afternoon of play. I know what you're picking every day of the week, unless there's something wrong with you and you pick the process, of course. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think also as well is, you know, if you want to create this kind of innovative environment, then you've got to embrace uh, kind of spontaneity of thought so yes ideas dart all over the place and that's a good thing I think people are like, can we just focus on one thing well eventually you'll get to the point where you can but sometimes the best ideas come because you keep challenging 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 them that's part of that spontaneous process you, you, you know it, innovation can't be it, it can't be bureaucratic it can't be about form filling but you know a lot of people use the agile movement as a way to subvert process rather than to be creative and deliver value more quickly um, so you, you, you don't want to pay lip service to flexible flexibility and flexibility of idea flexibility of thought and um, you've, you've got to be prepared to, to kill the status quo um, uh, Dan Gregory and Kieran Flanagan talked about this in their book which I really enjoyed it's called Forever Skills uh, again another you know, what I love about the way that Dan and Kieran the way that they write it's simple it's easy to follow. I think it's 10 skills. I love books like that. Just give me 10 things and then I can read the 10 things and go, okay, well, maybe three of them. And I applied this to my own work as well. You know, they talked about innovation. They said innovation requires willingness and ability to kill the status quo. There's just some stuff that you love doing that's inefficient. 
and you've got to want to kill it you've got to want to do something different you've got to want to change it in order to get to that point from a mindset perspective where you're ready to do so and that's what I wanted to finish on because I think more than anything else when when you're trying to adopt a more innovative approach to your work to your life whatever it is that you're doing then you have it, it, it literally is all about the mindset it's all about the mindset. Elon Musk, I mean, he's a confronting guy, is old Elon. Um, and s- some of the things he does, I would never recommend that you do. You know, a group of SpaceX employees openly challenged him recently, so he sat them all. Yeah, not a good, not good. But as an innovator, you know, he's held in high regard. And I think, you know, one of the things that he said, what makes innovative thinking happen? It's a mindset. You have to decide. And fixed mindset, fixed mindset make no time for innovation. They make no time for new ideas. They talk about problems. They're not very good at solutions. They avoid challenges. They don't want to kill the status quo. In fact, sometimes the pension or the super funds wrapped up in the way that we do things. They say, that's the way we do things around here. You'll get used to it, blah, 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 blah. But if you want to be innovative, you need a growth mindset. New ideas, opportunity. What could success look like? What, you know, what, what's failed in the past, what did we learn, what feedback can you give us, what's the value that the customer will derive from this, the effort that we put into this is necessary, we need to safeguard our creative time and our thinking time, you know, that's what a growth mindset looks like, and if you can spend, like me and my teams used to do, just two hours a week, just coming up with new ideas and then creating a plan to put them into practice and then learning from them, then you've started the innovation process. Anyway, hope it's not foggy wherever you are, either of brain or weather. Uh, have a fa- fabulous day wherever you are, uh, and look forward to talking to you soon. Ta-ra for now.